Okay. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Blessed be the tie that binds. Now, we aren't starting another book. This is simply one of those uh, random messages. I began to think about the Christian's commitments to fellow believers because I was thinking about the song uh, Mark picked and, and uh, Ruth's story illustrated how true faith will cause us to form commitments to God's people. Commitments to God's people. Blessed be the tie that binds. We're going to read all of this, 1 through 18. Um, uh, thought about summarizing it, but it, uh, summarizing it ended up being about the same amount of length as just reading it. Ruth 1, 1 through 18. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lift up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return unto thee, with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them, for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back and un unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to follow from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. What a commitment she made to God's people. Thy people shall be my people. Other than the gospel story, the story of Ruth may be one of the most, maybe the most beautiful in the Bible, other than the gospel. Because of Ruth's faith, she clings to Naomi. 
while her sister returns to her people. It is obviously a commitment born of love. This type of commitment is rare. Lesser commitments are common. This is supernatural. This is the type of commitment that happens when a person is born again. When they commit their lives to following Christ, Christ's people become our people. I did look, I looked at the song list for today, and, and that song on the list made me curious. I researched it and found another beautiful story of commitment. I believe the Lord was guiding me towards this message. And of course, that song is, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. We'll be singing that, I believe. Nope, got to take head yes, okay. It was written by John Fawcett. By the way, it's going to be a fairly short message, but I hope it is a blessing to you. But I'm going to read the words. You know, sometimes just reading the words of a song, it's, I don't know, you, you sometimes hear things you don't hear when you're, when you're singing it. Uh, not always, but blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows a sympathizing tear. When we are called to part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. This glorious hope revives our courage by the way while each in expectation lives and waits to see the day. From sorrow, toil, and pain, and sin we shall be free and perfect love and friendship reign through all eternity. Now this, there's more to this, okay? This is one of those, this is not as dramatic as uh, 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 it is well with my soul, <laughs> The story behind that. But I, I think that there is, a, there is a story here behind this. John Fawcett, the one that wrote it, he mostly would write poetry and then people would put it to music. Um, he was born 1740 and died in 1817. He was orphaned at the age of 12. As I said, he was born in 1740, died in 1817. He became apprenticed to a, to a tailor and was largely self-educated. He was converted by the preaching of George Whitfield at the age of 16 and began preaching soon thereafter. In 1765, Fawcett was called to a small, poor Baptist country church in Waynesgate, Yorkshire. Seven years later, he received a call from the large and influential Carter's Lane Church in London, England. We'll be reading more about that here in just a second. They've got these in. I'll repeat some of this because they've got it in blocks from different books. Okay. Fawcett accepted the call and preached his farewell sermon. The day of departure came and his family's belongings were loaded on carts. 
But the distraught congregation begged him to stay. The favorite hymn is said to have been written in 1772. Let's see here. I'm skipping over some of these parts here. Now, Bert Pullman writes this. He said, he says, converted at the age of 16 under the ministry of George Whitfield, he had first joined the Methodists, but three years later united with the Baptist Church at Bradford. Having begun to preach, he was in 1765 ordained Baptist minister at Waynesgate near Hebden Bridge, Yorkshire. In 1772, he was invited to London to succeed the celebrated Dr. John Gill as pastor of Carter's Lane. The invitation had been formally accepted. The farewell sermon at Waynesgate had been preached and the wagons loaded with his goods for removal when the love and tears of the attached people prevailed and he decided to remain. In, in 1777, a new chapel was built for him at Hebden Bridge. And about the same time, he opened a school at Brerley Hill, Brerley Hill Hall. Brerley Hall. <laughs> His place of residence. In 1793, he was invited to become president of the Baptist Academy at Bristol, but declined. In 1811, he received from America the degree of Doctor of Divinity and died in 1817 at the age of 78. Dr. Fawcett was the author of a number of prose works on practical religion, several of which attained a large circulation. It says, while not attaining a high degree of excellence as poetry, they are eminently spiritual and practical, and a number of them are found in all the Baptist and congregational hymn books that have appeared during the last 100 years. That's commitment. That's commitment to God's people. You know, many people say they want to follow Christ, but many don't understand what that commitment looks like. It is as Ruth said, thy people shall be my people. Christ's illustration of what that commitment to him and his kingdom looks like was more shocking than, his illustration was more shocking than the story of Ruth. He illustrated it in uh, Luke 9. In Luke 9, 57 through 62, it says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Sounds like a pretty strong commitment he's demanding there. He wanted to make a strong point. Commitment means commitment. He uses strong examples. First man claims that he is committed, but Jesus informs him that he does not have a home. Does the man really want to follow Jesus everywhere he goes? You know? If he doesn't have any possessions? The next man said he had to bury his father. But Jesus told him that was not enough commitment to the kingdom. Another said they needed to say goodbye to those at home, and Jesus said they were not fit. For many who profess to follow Christ today... It is a big show of commitment to the kingdom if they watch a service online or at least give God an hour on Sunday. 
or maybe a t-shirt with a snarky Christian saying. But can they say to Christ, thy people are my people. Thy people shall be my people. I've seen committed Christians in my life. Deacons whose children thought they lived at the church. And I'm not saying you have to live at the church. There are other things that are ways to manifest our commitment. There are people here who are committed to the church and they're giving. There are ones who pay the light bills at the church. It's the ones who erase one more item off the ministry board. So how strong is the tie that binds? How strongly committed do we want our deacons to be to this church? How committed do you want uh, your pastor to be? You know, I've been told something. Imagine uh, I was told an account. Uh, I won't say any, I won't give anything away, but imagine if one of your deacons posted pictures on Facebook of them enjoying some meaningless activity on Sunday while you were at church. I heard a pastor that had this happen to him. Now, he didn't need to call and check on them. He knew right where they were. They let all the world know about their level of commitment. You know, we have deacons who are committed to God's people and our Sunday school teachers. We have some great Sunday school teachers. They have, they have, are, they made a commitment. They are there for God's people. I think all of our Sunday school teachers are committed to God's people. And you know, they all have hindrances like everybody else. You know, my, my wife loves her little class. She just, she just loves her little class. She isn't trying to be Wonder Woman or make any type of show. But she has a drive to be here because of love. She wants to be there for her little class of three. She loves these three young men dearly. At home, she'll laugh with love and excitement when she tells me how well they are doing in the class. It is a commitment because of love. Isn't that the best reason for commitment? Jesus knew people didn't understand the level of commitment that he expected, so he illustrated it in the most shocking ways. Look at Luke 14, 26 and 27. It says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now that's pretty shocking. That's pretty shocking words about the level of commitment that needs to be there. When Jesus wanted to separate the men from the boys, he challenged their commitment by telling them things hard to accept. He knew that an understanding of the level of commitment he required was not really in some of their hearts. They were just onlookers, no true faith, and therefore no strong love for God's people. We find it in John 6. 
In John 6, Jesus told his disciples that they had to drink his blood and eat his flesh, and that was too much for many of them. In John 6, 60 through 68, it says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew it in himself, the disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are a spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Jesus isn't on the earth now, but where he is, his people are there, committed to each other. But not just commitment for any reason, but for love. Beloved, 1 John 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Throughout the Bible, we are encouraged over and over to have a strong commitment to God's people. Sometimes the admission is very forceful, like in our text when Jesus tells people their commitment has to be stronger than anything else. And sometimes the admonition is softer. God knows that we get tired and he's patient with us. So sometimes he has a softer approach when needed. We see this in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. It says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We can grow tired even from doing good to the household of faith. But that is especially where we are supposed to be committed to others. We will reap great benefits for doing good to the household of faith. We'll reap if we faint not. Having commitment to them. I want to be like our Lord. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Now, and just so you wonder, uh, this isn't some passive-aggressive message, all right? Okay. <laughs> I don't think it's always wrong for people to leave a church for a different one, although it can be wrong. I don't know of anyone, and I don't know of anyone planning to do that, okay? What I'm saying is that we need to be firmly connected to whatever body, body that God places us in. We're all parts of the body. We're all parts of the body, you know, and, we, and, and we're different. We're different parts of the body, but, but we need to be connected, right? You know, a hand that is hanging on by a piece of skin or a tendon isn't very useful. Kind of a grotesque picture there, but um, I think of a table saw accident or something. Um, but a hand needs to be firmly attached to the body to be useful. But our text isn't just about commitment to God's people. It's about commitment to God himself and obedience. It's commitment to 
read our Bibles. Commitment to prayer. Commitment to evangelism. And, and so many more. Commitment. Commitment to follow and obey God's commands. Jesus used such shocking words to wake people up. They just didn't understand the level of commitment that he requires. He said, cannot be my disciple. And you know, the, the book of Ruth illustrates it as well. Isn't it, isn't it beautiful? That beautiful illustration, that level of commitment. Another shocking, and we'll, we'll end here. Another shocking illustration is in Matthew 25. This commitment to God's people in Matthew 25, 34 through 44, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for that devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we then hungered, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Jesus loves his people. He is committed to his people. And he expects us to be like him. Let's pray.